right. Man, I'm glad I came today. Got applause. That's awesome. <laughs> you all are great. I Seriously, what a great group of people to be with. I just am honored to be here, getting to talk with you and look at the Bible, look at what God has to say to us today. And But seriously, I feel like I never got to be in the cool club growing up, and I don't know who let me in this morning, but somehow, I guess I came early enough that I sneaked in somehow. But yeah, we are, man, that's, man, God's, God's got good stuff for, for each of us. We're starting a, a new message series today called The Cross, talking about the cross. And we actually looked into putting a big wooden cross up here every week. Um, but the one we thought we might have access to SD was too big to fit in my van, so it didn't make it. But you can just kind of imagine, you know, a cross there, and there's, there's the graphic. Uh, the cross is obviously the, the symbol of Christianity. It's, it's so familiar that we tend to not think about what it represents. You see crosses on church buildings all over the place. You see crosses on jewelry. You see crosses tattooed on people all the time. It's, it's so commonplace that it oftentimes loses its, its meaning. But if you think about what the cross is, just as a physical object, it's less an object of decoration or even a religious symbol. It's a form of capital punishment. And I think that's kind of what sort of religion chooses an instrument of torture and capital punishment as the symbol of its faith. You know, that, if you could imagine, that'd be like we have an electric chair sitting here in the corner, plugged in every Sunday morning, and then like maybe a sign, don't touch, danger, or something like that, or, you know, maybe a noose hanging from the ceiling. I think that would be a little more, more what the cross really represented in, in Roman times. Um, if we really wanted to get explicit, we could have a, a mummy hanging with his head in the noose, hanging from the ceiling. That's, that's what a cross is. Okay, it was, it's, Two pieces of wood that people were nailed to who were criminals to put them to death. Now, why? Uh, that, that, how has that become the, the beloved and, and known symbol of our faith? We're going to look at that this morning and look at that over the next few weeks because it's, it's one of those things that it is, it is so, it's central to everything that we are as Christians, everything that gives our life uh, meaning, every, what brings us into relationship with God, it's the, the depth of God's love and wisdom, and it's also the simplicity. And it's something, if I were to ask you in the room, hey, what does the cross represent? I, I think most of you would give answers that were, were very good. And there's so much truth and depth and insight, and we're going to spend a few weeks talking about this. Um, but it's so important that we not only know it, but we remember it and we personalize it. And then we're able to communicate that to others. And so, let me pray for us. Uh, pray for this, this time. Lord, we thank you that you did go to the cross. Thank you that you died for our sins. And as we look at, at your words, we look at the cross. This morning, I, I pray that whether we've never understood this before, whether we've never uh, had it applied to our lives before, or whether we've been trusting the work of the cross for years, I pray that that you would bring the message of, of who you are and what you've done on our behalf in a powerful way to our, to our hearts and our minds that would change us and, and help us 
to, to be connected to you and live the life you've called us to. Lord, help us, even right now, Holy Spirit, cause um, my words to be your words. Help us to, to hear from you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to start off. This is uh, Paul the Apostle writing, and starting in verse 1, he's writing about the cross, and he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel here literally means the good news, the good proclamation. It was the message that a, a herald would bring of, of good, good news that had happened. I want to remind you of the, the good news I preached to you. So he's saying there is a message that we have to hear and understand as believers that changes our lives, that changes everything. I want to remind you of this message, of this gospel, this message of the cross which I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Let's think about that for a minute. The message of the cross has to come to us, but that's not enough. We have to personally receive it. We have a, the option, the, the, it's the crossroads of do we receive this message of the cross, this work of the cross, or does it not affect the way we live? Do we, does it not change everything? Do we not live differently according to what God has done for us on the, on the cross? And it says, it's on which you have taken your stand. You know, this is something that we can, once you get the work of what God has done for us on the cross, that's something we can stand on. How many of you know that life, I know my life, there's like winds blowing every day, different directions, trying to knock me off kilter and lose my confidence and not know which ends up and how am I going to make it and what's happening and, oh man, what do, I, what do I represent, how do I live? Getting this message of the cross and what God has done for us, who we can be in Christ, who we are in Christ, we can take our stand on that. We can stand confident as we get it. It says, by this gospel, by this message of the cross, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. This is the very message. This is the very, apart from the work of the cross, I keep pointing to this imaginary cross that's not over there. This work of the cross, apart from the cross, we cannot be saved. It is the work of Jesus on the cross that saves us. And it's interesting also that many translations say it's uh, by this gospel you are being saved. That we are saved at the, t- the moment we come to Jesus and believe in what he did on the cross. We're forgiven of our sins. We're saved. But that's not the end. It's an ongoing process of transformation, of continuing to be transformed. It's what, when the Bible says being saved, it's that we're continuing to be transformed into the people God called us to be. That doesn't happen by our own willpower either. That happens because of the cross. And if we, if we fall away from that, then we believe in vain. Then our lives are in vain. Because our ability to be right with God, our ability to live life the way he's called us to, it's all contingent upon the cross. It says in, in verse 3, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing. This is what I'm passing on to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now that phrase is what we're going to zero in on today. Christ died for our sins. Five words. That's all we're going to talk about, but I'm going to use 
5,000 words to talk about those five words or something. Christ died for our sins. What does the cross mean? Christ died for our sins. That's the message. He goes on, it says that he was, then he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You know, the cross is, he's saying all that is that, he's making the point that, okay, Jesus Christ came, God became man, he lived on the earth, he lived for 33 years, then he willingly went to the cross and died for our sins, then he was buried, and he, raised from the, he was raised from the dead, and then he appeared to a bunch of people, and this is one of the things that, that differentiates Christianity from every other religion or philosophy. It's not just ideas in your head. They're like, oh, this is a good way to live. But it's based on the historical fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died and was raised from the dead and appeared to many people. And he's, at the time that this was written, he's saying, hey, there are 500 of these people. Most of them are still alive. And if you need names, I can give them to you because they saw him personally. And there's, this, this is a real thing that happened. And so... The, the faith, our, our hope of, of living right with God, of being forgiven, of living confidently, it's based on what God has done for us on the cross. Christ died for our sins. Let's all say that together. On three. One, two, three. Christ died for our sins. All right, you got it. You can go home now. That's good. Um, but I'm going to break it down a little more. So I, what does that say, Christ died for our sins? I'm going to break that down into three kind of subpoints. First thing that says is that we are sinners. Give the Lord a shout. I thought this was good news. But if Christ died for our sins, we have to start with the point that we sinned. That we have sins. If, if we are not sinners, then it was unnecessary for Christ to die. Christ died for our sins. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is not a popular concept today. The, I, the very, you almost, if you, I don't know if you feel this, but when I am talking to, to people and the, the, the topic of sin, I feel like I need to talk about sin. It's like everything in my mind is feeling like, how can I say this without using the word sin? Like, it's just, it's so, like, out of place in our culture. Everything we hear is about how wonderful you are and how good people are and we can do anything. And, but, the Bible says that we are sinners. And, and if we break this down, we really are. Now, I look at my life. I, I've lived thousands of days. And I've sinned multiple times. Most of those days. That's a whole lot of sins. I, I have sinned a whole lot. And the... Um, sin is even deeper than... You know, it, it's of the acts we commit. We... We are sinners because we sin. All right, if you murder one time, you're a murderer. If you sin one time, you're a sinner. We are, we are all sinners. So we are sinners because we sin, but we also sin because we're sinners. That we come into this world with a nature that is inclined towards sin. It's natural for us to sin. We, we can't help sinning. Um, we, it's, so, it's so intrinsic in us. And again, our culture is... It, so much wars against that idea. There is so much trying to, if the idea of guilt or shame comes up, it's always like, oh, those are toxic ideas. Don't talk about guilt. Don't talk about shame. But 
we have to start with the recognition of our guilt and our shame if we're going to experience the salvation that God has for us. Guilt is, is bad feelings about what we've done. Now, if, if you rob a bank, you should feel guilty for what you've done. And because of our sin, we should, we should in our life, have a sense of guilt about our sin. Shame is similar to that, but a little different. Shame isn't bad feelings about what you've done as much as shame is bad feelings about who you are. It's amazing that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, as soon as they disobeyed God, they felt ashamed. They, they felt that they, they needed to cover up themselves before they'd been naked, and no problem. But all at once, they felt a need to cover themselves because there was a deep sense that something in me is wrong. Something in me is broken. Something in me needs to be covered up. And before Christ, shame is a thousand percent appropriate. Guilt is a thousand percent appropriate. We, sh- we need to feel guilt and shame before Christ because we are sinners. And, you know, that's, again, I just keep saying this, but it goes against our culture so much. You know, there's so much. What are the, you know, the whole, the, the born this way idea? in our culture, is, hey, if I'm born this way, then it must be okay. That's the assumption, that if I have inclinations and desires, and it's, it's in me, and it's, it's natural to me, then it's okay. And that is the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says we are born under the power of sin, and sin has corrupted us, and sin is in us. And there are so many impulses and desires that we have that, as a friend of mine says, the problem with you, friend, is you're just wicked. You know, that's, you're just wicked. There's stuff in you, and that's the problem with me. When I, before Christ, I'm just wicked. That's, that's, that's the reality. And so, Christ died for our sins. We are sinners. So the first thing is, is admitting that. The second thing is, that, is to see that, that our just God must deal with sin. Because God is, is, is just, he can't just wink at sin. You know, a judge would not be a good judge if someone came into his courtroom and had robbed a bank. And the judge said, well, you have a nice face. I'm sure you didn't really mean to hurt anybody. You probably needed the money. You know, it doesn't matter. Let's just, you know, try to do better next time. No, that's, that's not justice. And God is completely just. God is completely holy. There, he must deal with sin. And not only that, but our sin affects our relationship with him. Just as when, when I sin against you, there's something in our relationship that is damaged. And we can't just go on and pretend that didn't happen. There, it has to be dealt with because the relationship has been changed. And so our, our just God must deal with sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, the wages of our sin is death. What we earn through our, through our sin is death. Um, I've, oftentimes I hear people say something to the effect of, man, I like the God of the New Testament. It's all about forgiveness and grace, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament because there's so much judgment in there. And that's a whole other topic. It's, it's actually the same God. Old Testament, New Testament, he didn't change his personality. He's a God of love and justice from start to end. But it's interesting that Judgment is not just in the Old Testament. Judgment is hardwired into 
human, the human psyche and human society. Have you ever noticed how many of the shows that are popular on TV are all about crime and punishment? How about like figuring out who did the murder and catching them and bringing them to justice? And there's, there's something deep in us that knows that justice must be met. And there's something deep in us that knows that, that it's, it's often not, oftentimes not being met. You know, really every other religion, every religion, it's not just Christianity. Even the idea of hell is not a unique Christian concept. Hell is in all over the world. All over the world, people are terrified of hell. Because there is a realization, oh my goodness, we are broken. We don't have a confidence that we're going to have a good afterlife. Because, man, we have this deep sense that something in me is broken. I, I grew up for half of my childhood years were in, were in Taiwan. And Taiwan is a Buddhist, it's kind of a mixture of Buddhism and Taoism. And really underneath all of it is, is spiritism animism, just a, the, sin, the belief that there are spirits in everything, and spirits are behind everything, and the spirits are angry and capricious, and you've got to try to appease them, you've got to offer, offer sacrifices, and pay money, burn money, all sorts of stuff, take, pray for your ancestors, take their bones out after they die, and clean them off once a year, because of this sense of, of fear, because of, man, we don't know if we measure up, and we, there's this, this guilt. I remember one of the, especially once a year, there was a, there was a religious festival. There were multiple really dark festivals, but, but one was where there would be parades. And they would take the idols and the, all the shrines out of the, out of the temples and out of people's houses oftentimes too and make, put them on like floats, like we have homecoming parade, parades, but this was like religious temple parade. So you'd bring out all the idols You'd have the priests, you'd have gongs and music and wailing, and I hated it because they would be like a half-mile-long parade at least, and they would block the way that I couldn't get home, and so I'd have to like wait for an hour for this thing to go past or try to find a way around it on my bike. But the, the most intense thing I remember seeing as a kid, as like an 11, 12-year-old kid, is they would be on, on one of the floats, kind of the center of this whole thing, would be, there'd be eight guys with no shirt on, and they'd have some sort of flogging device, some sort of whip. And they'd just be dancing around in a circle, whipping themselves on, the, on their backs, flogging themselves, and it's, into a, it's kind of a trance state. And blood all over. I mean, as a kid, this is just, just graphic. But just even as a, as a kid, I, 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 I knew enough about the cross that I realized they're trying to atone for something that Jesus atoned for us for. That there is something inside of them that they feel like, man, I need to deal with this guilt and shame, and I'm going to try to beat myself up by doing this. Because I know that something has to pay the price of my sins. And all over the world, this is, we, we know this deep in our gut, that that's, that's the way things are. Um... Yeah, something deep in us knows that, that sin, sin deserves death. I, you know, I, I saw in the news recently someone's, someone's child had been murdered, and they were interviewed, and this, seen this dozens of times, but they said, I just want to see the perpetrator brought to justice. You know, we know that, man, uh, sin cries out for justice. So there's something in the fabric of the universe that that's the way things are. So that's, you're wondering, why, how is this good news? 
How is this cross good news? Like, well, again, that's, it's, it's subversive. Like, why do we have this instrument of capital punishment as our symbol of our faith? But it's, it's because of that all sets the stage. We have to understand that to realize that the third part is that Christ Jesus gave his life for ours. Jesus died for our sins. That's, that's the message, that if we don't realize the weight of sin, we don't appreciate the work of the cross. But Jesus went to the cross because our works of righteousness, our beating ourselves up in whatever ways we try to do that, any religious endeavors, none of that can pay the price of sin. But Jesus gave his life for ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is this, this great exchange. God made him who had no sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And God made, took him and he became sin for us. He took the weight of our sins upon himself and actually became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God just as he was. There was, uh, a few years ago in in Kansas, there was a guy named Floyd Bledsoe who grew up uh, east of Topeka, kind of in Jefferson County area. And 15 years earlier, he had been convicted of murdering his 14-year-old sister-in-law. So he went to jail for this this horrible murder that had happened to a 14-year-old girl. Fifteen years later, in like, I think it was 2011, his brother committed suicide, and in his suicide note, he confessed that he was the one that had murdered this girl. And so for 15 years, Floyd had been doing time. He was innocent, but he was doing time for his brother. And he was released, and actually his... Uh, he, He's been awarded some money by the state of Kansas now, but his demeanor is just amazing how, how forgiving he's been about this whole thing. Like, he really doesn't seem bitter. He's just kind of ready to, to begin his, his life anew and, and go on. But that's really, a, a, in a, to some degree, a picture of what Jesus did for us. That Floyd went to jail for his brother for a crime he didn't commit. Jesus, who the Bible calls our, our older, oldest brother, he did the, did the punishment for the crime that we did. And he did it willingly. He chose to do that so we could be free. Jesus gave his life for ours. You know, and this, there's just, there's so much, I mean, so much of the Bible is talking about the implications of this. And there's so many aspects of that. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. But this is what's called substitutionary atonement, that Jesus was the sacrifice in our place. It's the idea of redemption. That we were, we were slaves. And Jesus paid the price for us to be free. There's the idea of a ransom that was paid. There's the idea that we were prisoners and Jesus set us free. There's so many aspects of this, but Jesus took the punishment so that we could, so we could be free. He paid the price for our sins. So the question becomes for us is, okay, he's done it. Will we receive the punishment? Will we receive his punishment in our place? It's, the work has been done, but not everybody receives it. And will we receive it, and will we live in that place of receiving his grace? 
Now, I, I've been a Christian for a long time, but so often I'm not living in that place of trusting in the work of the cross. I'm trusting in my own good works or how things are going in my life. And the, the test of that is when things don't go so well a lot of times. Now, recently, this summer, we've been painting our house, or actually our 16-year-old son Kay's been painting our house, and he's basically done as of this week, which is, which is awesome. But we, we wanted to get good paint, and so we went to Sherwin-Williams and got, like, the best paint that they had. It's, even with a 30% discount, it's like 60 or $70 a gallon. So this is like, man, this is good stuff. And I know I always, I always underestimate how, how long a job's going to take and how much paint it's going to take. And so I was like, well, let's, let's, let's get five gallons. I, did the, I think that'll be about right. So I got five gallons and then of the, of the main color. And then Cade was painting the, the, the trim and the eaves first, and that was like taking way more paint than we expected. So I was like, well, I better recalculate. I went to the paint store for something else, and I got two more gallons of this paint. Well, lo and behold, so I bought seven gallons. We actually ended up using about three and a half. Actually, I got eight gallons, and we used, no, seven gallons. We used three and a half. And so I'm like, shoot, I just wasted all that money. You can't take this paint back. It's already been tinted. It's like, oh, shoot, man. And it's just like, it's starting to, to wear on me. It's like, I don't want to tell Reagan. She's going to kill me. You know, it's like, how many things could I have bought her for that money? You know, how many school clothes could we have bought? And it's just like, God, I'm just like stuck in this place of, oh, man, I, I failed. I messed up. I sinned. I mean, that's, you say, well, is that sin? But the idea is sin is falling short. It's, it's not measuring up, and it's, it's, there's an economic aspect to sin. It's like, man, I, I'm in debt now. I'm not in debt, but I wasted all this money. I wasn't a good steward of this money, and I sure could use it. And I was just, it was messing with me. And I finally, it was just like, okay, God, I've got to get to this place of, of receiving your forgiveness about this stupid paint. Like, I, I, okay, God, I messed up. I fell short. I sinned. Will you please forgive me? Will, I need to apply the work of the cross to this paint situation. And, yeah, it is good. And I, it still wasn't like an immediate thing. It was like, man, I've got to really walk this thing out because I've got to choose like moment by moment. Okay, I'm not going to dwell in this. I, I've got to receive God's grace and trust in what he did and not in anything else. And so there's the work of the cross. Jesus paid the price of our sins, but there are barriers to us receiving it. Not everyone receives it, and we receive it to different degrees. And I'm going to read one more passage here as, as we start to land this plane. Uh, back, still in 1 Corinthians, but in the first chapter. This talks about, on the receiving end, of how we hear this gospel of the cross, and some barriers, some things that make it hard for us to, to apply it. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he's saying, hey, it all boils down to not how eloquent I am, not how wise I am, but just presenting Jesus. He died for our sins. That's what you've got to get. That's where the power comes from. For the message of the cross, in verse 18, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Think about that. To some, to those, when we're in our state of perishing, when our state of being lost, the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. How could, how could one man dying on a cross help me? What does that have to do with my sins? But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. There's something about the cross. It's, it's a higher wisdom than worldly, worldly wisdom. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. It's through the foolishness of the cross that we are saved, that we're forgiven, that we're transformed. Jews demand signs. Okay, think of Jews, just think of it as highly religious people. People with a religious pedigree and who are doing good at morality and the success thing. Jews demand signs. And Greeks, Greeks stands for people that are wise, that are humanistic, that figure things out with their own minds. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. There's a lot in there that's saying the cross is a simple message, but it's the power of God to save us. But people that are like the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block to them. And people that are like the, the Greeks, the cross is a stumbling block to them. Or it's an offense to them. And there are, there are two barriers to receiving. The first barrier to receiving is admitting that we're sinners. It's offensive to think that I'm a sinner and I deserve to die. That's, that's why to the Jewish person, it's like, man, I've, been, I've got the covenants, I've got the scriptures, our people have known God for millennia. Man, we, we got it together. And then you're saying that Christ had to die for my sins? And that all this means nothing? If I don't receive this, that's offensive to the successful religious person. And if it's humbling, it's humbling to admit, man, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And for us, too, that can be a big barrier. Our pride is a big barrier to receiving the work of the cross. So admitting we're sinners is, is one barrier. The second barrier is, is insisting on saving ourselves. It's the, the Greeks, it's like, hey, no, I've got my, with my mind, I got this figured out. Man, we can figure out a philosophy of life. We got how things be successful. These are the ideas and the philosophies that work. Hey, I can, I can make this work by myself. And the cross says, no, you can't. You can't make this work. Jesus had to die for your sins. And you got to be humble enough to say, I can't do it. I need what you did for me. It's, you know, it's, it's not just in non-Christian religions where we try to pay for our own sins. I, you know, told the story of my pain. We all do that in different ways. I, uh, another, in, I stumbled across a picture on the internet this week that I knew about this, but in the Philippines, it, it's the, which is predominantly Catholic, predominantly a, a Christian faith, 
But in the Holy Week, on, on Maundy, Maundy Thursday, the, the Thursday before Easter, there are these, similar to what I just saw growing up, these parades. And people go out, and they whip themselves. And we have got a picture of that here. Yeah, there's, they whip themselves to bleed, trying to atone for their sins. It's like, how does this happen? In the very week of the celebration of the cross, how are we turning it upside down and trying to beat ourselves up for our sin? But just there's, some, there's such a just despicable tendency in us to look, to beat ourselves up instead of receiving what God has for us. And so it's, that's the second barrier to receiving is, is insisting on saving ourselves. All right. So, we're going to keep talking about this, but really, I just want to lay it out here this morning that it is, this is good news. This is such good news that Christ died for our sins. That, man, all of the traps of performance and religion and hiding, we don't have to live that way. But the first thing is we've got to understand it and then appreciate it and receive it in our life, and remember that. And I'm going to pray for us and, and ask that God would help us to, to get that and to, to live according to the mystery of the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died for our sins. Lord, I ask that the simplicity and the power of this would would, uh, we would get it. We would live it. Lord, I pray in whatever areas of our life we're, we're facing that you would help us. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray for even just as we receive this that you would help us to, to experience the freedom, the joy, the appreciation for you that you made us to live in. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. I want to pray a little bit more. Uh, okay. I was thinking about the picture you were bonding and um, 